Welcome to the Red Hand Podcast, the most listened to Ulster Rugby Podcast. The Red Hand is independent, made by fans, for fans. Next level Ulster Rugby content featuring unrivaled insight, unfiltered opinion, powerful stories and accessible analysis. If you're a business who would like to advertise to thousands of rugby fans across the province and beyond, please get in touch via Instagram at theredhand.co or email peter at theredhand.co. Don't forget to follow us on socials and join in the discussion. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support us, please sign up to The Red Hand on Patreon. Also, please like and subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a rating and tell your friends. Put the link to the podcast in some of your group chats. Thanks for your support, and we hope you enjoy listening to this episode. Welcome to the Red Hand Podcast. Life as an Ulster fan is anything but boring. And as usual, there's plenty to discuss on the podcast this week. Let's start with the positives. Ulster Rugby has an incredibly large and loyal fan base, a fancy new stadium and pitch, and a talented squad with a number of really good prospects coming through. So this begs the question why Dan McFarland's men are struggling on the pitch and why Ulster are in such a precarious position as an organisation. There's a saying that a fish rots from the head down, something to think about. However, there's also a saying, soft thumb till I die. (laughs) So real fans support players in the pitch. Indeed, no proper fan could complain about their team when players are given 100%. That includes whether they win, lose or draw. There's no doubt, in my opinion, about the effort of the current crop of players. They're passionate they're committed and they seem like a good bunch. So what's holding them back from achieving their potential as a squad? Is the issue that needs to be fixed with Ulster Rugby management and the head coach? Or is it just a matter of time before everything starts to click on the pitch and everything's rosy once again? To discuss this and talk about the games, I'm joined by Ian, Jack, Fergus and delighted as well to be joined by a name that will be familiar to Ulster fans, Humphreys. That's right, Daniel Humphreys is joining us. We'll get stuck straight in. We'll go to Jack for the story of the game. So, Jack, for those who didn't get to see that game or don't remember what happened, give us a quick rundown of the Bath game on Saturday and we'll have a, more of an in-depth chat about it in a second. Yeah, so for me, I was I was actually at the game. So if you were uh, watching on TV, I was the random dude in the far right-hand uh, corner of the pitch. So um, not the best... Uh, for viewing, however, I did manage to see both of the Ulster tries in front in front of me, so that was rather nice to uh, to see. But it was a it was a really tough tough game, really tough tough watching as well. Um, Bath really showed how uh, how strong they could be, and the uh, just Finn Russell put on the strings uh, was 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 really fun to to watch. But um, from an Ulster point of view, they 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 hung in really for most of that game. That they they defended pretty well for about 50 55 minutes the the first half was was good without being amazing and actually did very well to end up going in um you know what was it 14 um 14 5 14 8 um up at the break so i mean that was a really good result from you know doing a lot of defending um you know defending their own line defending that midfield of russell um Lawrence and redpath that 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 eventually you know, had the better of us in, in the second half, but the second half was much, uh, much different. Um, a different story. Um, Bath had the Bath had the wind. 
behind them and uh, they just, you know, play the pressure game and it, and it really just kind of squeezed the life out of us again, um, which tends to be the, uh, the pattern at the minute. But, you know, for, you know, like I say, 50, 55 minutes, Ulster were at least on the scoreboard there right in there. But, um, yeah, you, you never felt very comfortable or confident that we would get a result because there was just that lots of high error count and just not being able to get the field position that they needed. So, um, really disappointing second half, but you know, um, there were some, some positives in that game. The attacking style clicked a couple of times, but maybe not as much as it should have done, but, uh, it was a really tough afternoon because Bath, um, Bath played very well and were, and were, uh, were, were a fair sort of, um, Fair result for them in the end. Really, they they were they were very good um, for that last twenty. So, you know, they got they got the just rewards in the end. Yeah, no, absolutely, it's no argument there. But um, turn to you now, Ian, and could you talk us through some of the individual performances? There's always chat after games about standout players for both good and bad reasons. So, who were the players who stood out to you? Um, well, standouts. Uh, came in the first half, I suppose, um, when we played a bit of uh, half decent rugby on on uh, poor enough field surface. Um, although I, I was reading afterwards where, where Bath had that pitch uh, stitched a bit to hold it together, uh, and it, it 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 held up reasonably well. But I could see up the up the sides where it was uh, was absolutely like a quagmire. But anyway, um, back to your question, Peter. Yes. Um, the backs performed reasonably well in the first half. I thought our handling was a lot better. I thought we didn't make too many uh, handling errors. Um, we, we were sort of getting to see the best of Stockdale and, and Balakun. Uh, and uh, again, I thought uh, James Hume uh, had, had a storming um, first half. And generally over the 80, Hume was probably our, our, our best uh, performer. Um, <clears throat> we bit concerned that um, Nathan Dope was getting tied up a wee bit and at, at the back of rucks and scrums. Um, it's been happening a wee bit over the past wee while, and I and I don't know whether that's just a lack of protection from the forwards or maybe a bit of hesitancy on on his part. But um, now Stuart Moore had a good performance at full back in in, in awful conditions, and he's 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 pick up off the floor that. That, that led to uh, to his getting that score by uh, Nathan. The second score uh, was absolutely superb. Uh, pack wise, um, we 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 failed quite miserably in the scrum overall. But I did think um, that Kitsoff was actually performing maybe better than than it looked, and and that uh, uh, most of our issues were on the tight head side. Uh, so. Uh, just reading kits off there this morning, and he said that he thought that there was an improvement between Edinburgh and the Bath game. Um, they would know better than mm-hmm. than I would know, Peter. Looking at it, uh, and perhaps uh, you know we'll maybe see some more improvements uh, over the next week or so. Uh, we would definitely need to be improving and not giving away as much uh, uh, possession through through scrum concessions. Because uh, that's that's really hurting us at the moment. Yeah, is it a case of, case of taking our learnings and moving on? Do you think? Ian? Well, I think you know. Yes, that, that that's very cliched. But, uh, <laughs> I, I I think if if you can see improvement 
on 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 these things. And I did tweet at the time that I thought, you know, I had listed four things last week on the podcast where we needed improvements. And I thought, and certainly in the first half, that we had uh, improved on a, on a couple of those um, a couple of those issues. The, the, the defensive thing is is just brought upon us because our, our, uh, our, our, we're not able to get hold of the ball, and particularly in second halves where we where we failed against uh, Edinburgh miserably, and again on Saturday, our our, our scrum was just being turned over, uh, and uh, um, just puts us under too much pressure defensively. And you just get the impression now that once a team gets uh, sort of camped onto our onto our uh, five meter line, that uh, it's nearly inevitable that they're going to score against us. Yeah, scrum struggled a bit, and as we all know, <laughs> the, the, the scrum and that as a platform. If you can't secure, well, you need to secure your own ball, but you also need to yeah. need to basically at least uh, have parity at the scrum, um, or, or else you're in big trouble. So, look, I, I think. I wanted to zoom out a wee bit and talk about what this loss means in the overall context of the season so far. So we get caught up. I, I think, I don't know about you, but I sensed a bit of an atmosphere shift among the fan base. Um, and obviously, like it's a bit of an echo chamber, depending uh, where you look on the forums and stuff like that. It's mostly sort of reactionary nonsense. Um, and we're no different here, of course. <laughs> no, we try we try and give a very educated, balanced opinion, obviously. But like in, in terms of that, does anyone want to offer their opinion about what? how significant is this loss? I, I got that sense that just off the back of a few lacklustre performances and the manner of the defeat and what happened in the second half. What do you think? How significant was that loss in sort of the context of the season? Do you want me to, do you want me to go? Oh, oh. Mate. Sorry, apologies. Go ahead, Daniel. Um, no, yeah, I was just going to say, um, like I was looking back on that game, all I sort of thought was going in, we were probably 10, 15 points worse than Bath. I mean, the bookies had us at about sort of just under 10 points. Um, and I thought going into that game, I hadn't really expected that we would... Um, go on and sort of turn them over away from home. The bigger one that would worry me was Edinburgh. I thought at home we had a lead and we sort of capitulated in the last 20 minutes. Um, I thought though that going into that bath game, I thought as you know, as Ian pointed out, that first half was 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 good. Like it, There was a lot to be proud of in terms of we withstood a lot of good attacks from Bath and then when we got our small amount of opportunities, we, we took them. But it was in the last 20 minutes where we we just we were always going to capitulate there because we'd spent most of the game defending. And when you do that against any team, especially when someone like, you know, and you were mentioning the scrum, I do think O'Toole and Stuart struggled, but also you'd have to give fair credit to Ben O'Bano, who was who was brilliant. Like he he's he's clearly a guy who's on an England radar. He's clearly a guy who's going places and he got mad of match in the end. Like he was superb. But if you keep getting pinned back in your own 22 constantly, as Ian was pointing out, you you just you eventually will capitulate. And I think in the last 20 minutes of games, we are giving ourselves no opportunity to to mount you know any kind of chance at winning a game. We just look constantly like in the last 20 minutes like we're fighting for our lives. And if you keep doing that game after game, especially if you've had to make so many tackles, I mean Ian Henderson made 15 tackles in the second row in a game, you know, away at Bath, like. There's, we had we had more or less no opportunity of winning at the end. And even with 20 minutes to go, I think we were four points down. But you were watching it thinking, like, there's only one way this goes. And so that would be the thing, I think, for fans. You'd worry that there's a trend emerging amongst the games that in the last 20 minutes, we don't look like we could mount a, a, a real 
genuine um attack on their in their twenty two. And I didn't and I don't think we had ball in their twenty two in the last third half an hour of the game. So you can't you can't win a game in that in that in that fashion. Yeah, no, absolutely. And sorry, Fergus, you were gonna come in there as well. Just check your your we can hear you now. Nope, can't hear you. <laughs> type type something in. <laughs> type something in. Technical issues <laughs> striking down the pod. <laughs> it's so funny because yeah. Well uh usually we'll got quite a lot quite a lot to say, has Fergus, but uh he's been <laughs> for the bit. Do you want to come out and come back in? <laughs> right, enough you can't answer. I keep forgetting. I'll try and get this mic enabled. Grand. Okay. Um yeah, look, Danny, I completely agree. And I think one of the things you're saying about the likes of Obano, I sometimes forget to give credit to the opposition because you don't want them to do well because they're playing against your team. But like the, uh, they were good and um, there's certain standout players there who deserve credit. Um, sometimes we, we do get too Ulster-focused uh, for understandable reasons in this pod. But um, look, we'll skip ahead a wee bit and... Um, We'll come back uh, to Fergus in a minute. So in terms of, uh, come back to you, Daniel, actually, if you were in Dan McFarlane's position this week, man who's been under fire, he's got a decent amount of criticism there, but if you were in his position this week, what are the key messages you'd be hammering home to the squad? And what are sort of the changes uh, that Ulster must make in order to improve this season? Um, I think if you're just looking, I think, the really important thing now is that, like, as fans, I think it's quite important to take a broader look. But, like, for them, it's definitely it, the most important thing is now is this week. It feels like a really sliding doors moment in your season. I think we're, you know, we were sort of mentioned, like, you've got Connacht, Leinster, Toulouse, Harlequins as four games after this, which is a brutal run of games. But if you can get, you know, and as every Ulster fan, that we're loyal, but we are brutally pessimistic. When it comes when it comes to watching Ulster, like I personally, anyway, I'm always pessimistic. But I have tried to cast aside my pessimism in the last sort of two days, and I'm really trying to think of you know like the, the positives of this. And I think obviously the scrum has to be sorted out. But one thing that I would take away from the bath game was the amount of scrums. Like you can have a bad scrum, but if you're constantly sort of having to scrum, like I mean, you know, we had maybe seven scrum penalties given against us in the second half. Having seven scrums. That aren't our ball is is pretty bad anyway, and and I think that's another problem. You can avoid scrums by removing errors, and there's the amount of times we put ourselves in a position, and I think that would be something that the coaches would say. Like like the scrum can you know have have the all bad one, but if you keep putting yourself in the position where you're gonna have to scrummage, I mean we are coming up against Eddie Benaru, Trevor Nyakane, like these are serious international props this weekend. You don't want to give them six second half scrums where they can go at you in in your own half Mm. you need to try and avoid those sort of errors so if i was mcfarland i think the first thing that i'd probably be looking at is this is a galacticos team that is coming over and i don't think anyone is a you know um has any make any bones with that but you've got uh, the the, you know ravenhill is a genuine fortress in european rugby like other teams really don't like going to it and I think the fans really enjoyed this particular fixture in the year, this last European Cup game before Christmas. The fans t- tend to fill the place out and, and and make really good noise. And I think if I was Dan McFarland, I would be focusing on the first five, ten minutes. And how and something that Eddie Jones talked about really well is script writing for the first five minutes of a game. So he would always have a lineup play that they wouldn't have seen before or a scrum play that they wouldn't have seen before. And he would in, and he would enact that in the first five minutes of a game to try and set his team on the right foot. And I would say that 
Mc, McCluskey is so powerful, but he's getting the ball very stationary when he does get the ball. And I would love to see, even just off a first line out, can you just get him into Antoine Chabert early and just get the fans going? It doesn't particularly matter how you work that, but some way of initially getting your fans going, because I feel like when we watch games, we maybe, you know, we want to get going into the game as fans. Like we want to get going. But if, you know, you sort of watch a box kick and then a long kick and then and then there's a scrum and then, you know, penalty to them, it, you lose that initial buzz that you have when the teams run out. If I was Ulster, I'd be looking, can I get a line out early? And can I put either pressure on their line or can I get a set piece play where I get someone like Stuart McCloskey into their fly half and, and get the crowd going? And then I think also then more as the game progresses, I would like to see us, because Nathan Doak's a very good box kicker, John Cooney's a very good box kicker, and I think, can we try and put... They've got Arundel playing fullback, who doesn't normally play fullback. He's just started playing there for Racing. Juan M. Off and him didn't look particularly settled against Quinns. And I would say that on top of Marcus Smith putting them under pressure with the ball, with, with kicks and Andre Astahazen like really causing Francis Saeli issues, we've got Stuart McCluskey and two very good box kickers. And I would initially try and employ them as much as I can for the first 20 at least to try and sort of expose at least parts of the game where Racing struggle. And then if I can bring the crowd into it, all of a sudden it's a much different game for Racing. Like they're suddenly playing in conditions that they hate. They're used to playing mm. in that sports hall in Paris <laughs> that they all play in. I'd be much more keen. Can we get our game implemented in the first 20 minutes? And then after that, you know, it's all about then you can start to bring in all this stuff that we talk about, the good attack, the good players. Once you're sort of on the front foot, that's all that we need. But that's what I would be if I was Dan McBorn. I'd be focusing on the first 20 minutes. And can we initially impose ourselves on the game? Which is what I thought in the bath. First 20 minutes, we did not impose ourselves at any point. So I would say that would be my, if I was the coach in that situation, that's what I'd be looking to do. Yeah, yeah, love it. Um, really good uh, insight or perspective into the dynamics of a game, getting the crowd on board for what you're doing as well. It's, uh, it all counts and that can give you that extra few percent, even just motivation, like the momentum. There's, there's certain momentum tackles, carries that can change the, the course of the game. And um, on that note, Jack, I just want to go back to you quickly because you were at the game and um, like there's been a lot of chat about the atmosphere at uh, Fortress Kingspan. Uh, what well, once was a fortress, uh, and hopefully will once again be a fortress. Maybe not Fortress Kingspan. I'd like to be called Ravenhill uh, again, but anyway, that's a separate separate <laughs> argument. That's where it all went downhill. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. But Jack, what was the atmosphere like uh, there? What was the travelling support like, and uh, how does it compare to uh, Ravenhill? Yeah, it was. Um, I mean, I I've been I've been to well the last time we played in Bath. Um, I was at that game too, and um, obviously a much better, much better result that time out. But the atmosphere is always pretty good at Bath. I think it's probably one of the better um venues to go to. Um, the scenery's always good. Um, but yeah, there's a good there's a good buzz, and I mean, I think th- the thing is, um. Bath were playing some really good stuff, so it was really easy to get kind of swept away and a little bit of the the supporters um, having having the crack. And there was there was there was good traveling support. I, I think we're always pretty well supported wherever we go. Um, even saw uh, Tony McCorder in the uh, mm. in the bar beforehand, so um, give him a little wave. 
Uh, I didn't know who it was, but um, never mind. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was it was it was great. I mean, Bath is a really really good really good friendly place to go. Apart from apart from maybe five or six pesky little kids who were in front of us who were um, giving it stacks whenever Bath scored, but they didn't like it when I took the Mickey out of their accent, so uh, they uh, didn't like that at all. So. Um, it was really, it was really fun, sort of fun day. But uh, yeah, kind of uh, had to leave at about sixty-five minutes because uh, it was, uh, it was all going a bit, they were all going a bit pig tongue at that point. So, uh, but yeah, no. Um, hopefully, well, what I would say is, um, it's not, it's not hard to get an atmosphere when, uh, when you're playing well. So, uh, you know, if if we can get back to a little bit like what Daniel was saying, which I completely agree with, is is about doing something that gets gets the crowd into it because um yeah if, if we just continue to do box kicking and all that kind of nonsense then it's not really gonna get any kind of impetus into the game so uh which is funny because Ulster seem to want to keep hold of the ball a lot and they actually tend to do very little with it and I mean we turned it over 16 times at the weekend at Bath so if you're going to do that against a pack that is as good and as clinical as Bath or uh Rassing, we're going to have some scrums, so uh, could be uh, could be a dangerous uh, <laughs> dangerous ploy. But uh, I think we have no option. We have to just keep 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 going and um, try and be a bit more ambitious with the way we go because um, you know we're not a, we're not a we're not a kick chase team, but we are a team that doesn't kick enough. But we need to kick well. I think we need to kick differently because the current ploy is not working. So yeah, yeah. I thought, I thought, just to come in on that point, I thought you were bang on there. Like I, I only noticed one time where we kicked the ball into touch, and it was Billy Burns. I think sort of duffed a twenty-two, and you're yeah. sort of sitting there going, like, you yes. know, away from home in Europe, the really difficult bit is to play with the ball loads. Like if you go ten phases and then we knock it on and then they get a scrum, it's a massive win for them. You know, they've played us on the halfway line for that long. And then they're all sort of doing that thing all the English people do, which is pumping their fists at you and you hoeing. And like, and that's really difficult as a, as a team to deal with because you've just played 10 phases, you've not really gone anywhere, and then you can turn the ball over. You would have loved to have seen a bit more Billy Burns sort of maybe at that eighth phase. And I thought Finn Russell did it really, really well for them. Anytime that they sort of became a bit static, he'd just take the ball and ping us back and say, right, we'll just play down there. Like, that, that's fine. We will just play down in your 22 or we'll play down in your half and we'll start this game again because... Every single time, it looks like we're re- it's like we're trying to score in the last play of a game. Sometimes mm-hmm. we're just sort of running sideways. Oh, who's going to take the ball next? That would be my sort of. That would be a thing that I. I think Billy Burns might be out for this week, and I'd be saying if the Chief family was to start, I would be really keen to see more. Not just box kicking and doing the really long setup and everything. Doing taking the ball and pinging them back when you see space. And then that's another thing that actually gets crowds going. Genuinely, a good kick is something that crowds because a box kick that's taken by the other team, not so much. If you can ping them back, put them into their 22 defensive lineouts, stuff like that, that's the kind of stuff where we can actually get it wrestling because we're not probably man to man, we're not better rugby players, but stuff where you are you can organize yourself and put them back and keep pinging them back. I think that's probably something that we really lacked, especially away from home in the European Cup. Like, that's a real issue if you can't do that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And look, I think. Despite losing the game, Jack won his mini battle with the youngsters in front of him. Because he... <laughs> I don't know about that. But, he, uh... mocked, he mocked their accent and he, he had the last laugh. I think we all did off the back of that. So, yeah. <laughs> good man, Jack. And I hope when you walked out, you dramatically ripped up your ticket and stormed out. <laughs> uh, 
uh, to to teach everyone a lesson for not playing uh, well enough. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, Fergus, good to have you back. Some technical Hello, Hello. can you hear me now? <laughs> Gramps down here, yeah, struggling, I'm like, struggling. I'm like an old granny who's just got a new smartphone. <laughs> struggling away, right? And actually, I need a new laptop. And I swear I've used Zoom on this before. But I need a young man to come around and say, look, come on. <laughs> right, all this modern technology, it's very, very difficult. What a struggle. I'm sure you're probably just, you thought you were on Zoom, you're probably just uh, talking to yourself. And the no, I heard, I heard everything was being said. The problem was I was saying things and getting no reaction and thinking, <laughs> what an ignorant bunch of I've made some really, really good, insightful points. I mean, the best stuff is usually in the first half of a podcast, and now the moment's gone. Oh. The rest, the rest, going to be nonsense, unfortunately. It's all, it's all wasted now. You know. So, look, we do have, we do have something. I going to ask you. Yeah. What's that noise in the background? Flip's sake, the neighbour's drilling now. <laughs> he was drilling. He was drilling at like half ten last night. <laughs> It's an absolute disaster. Hopefully, he doesn't listen to this podcast. It says fairly safe. He doesn't, but he's a he's a baker, so he seems to live a very uh, what's the word nocturnal lifestyle. <laughs> he drills in the evening and he gets up early in the morning. Um, Podcasting goals. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't I haven't contributed much positive to this before, so apologies. <laughs> but I must say, uh, I, think, I, I agree with nearly everything Daniel said. He's much more insightful than me, but I think he'll. A lot of the tactical stuff that's come out of him, I suddenly realise he's on the money. Absolutely on the money. Good points. There you go. Uh, uh, for, for me, for me, there's only I, one I think, I, that we need in the coaching box this week. I, I think I should. I think I should spend more time on this podcast. It'd be good. You know, my therapist would definitely be saying this is good. This is a good outlet for you. Good to talk. <laughs> your, your, my, my brother would be. My brother's sick of me just talking about Ulster rugby. He's like, you need an outlet, mate. <laughs> Well, look, it's good group therapy, and look, if you're listening to this, um, you can rant a bit like Fergus has been doing this evening, sort of ranting madly to himself, or no one listening. <laughs> no, here I was saying some wonderful things, wonderful things. But like I said, the moment's gone. I couldn't recreate it. <laughs> well, look, we'll come come uh, to you now, actually, because uh, you you have a segment which has become your own, and it's too good, too bad. So look, we like a bit of balance in this podcast. So give us two positives and two negatives uh, from the game. Yeah, well, look, the drilling's just started again, which is great. But no, I uh, too good, too bad, I do think, is a good segment because you can get very bogged down in the negativity. And without going too widely offbeat, because it's all been very insightful and good so far, in the last week or so, I gave a lift to an elderly woman who was, like, in her 80s. And that's not because I'm a nice person, just to clarify. It's because uh, my mum, who you all know as well, Peter, she, she's a nice person, and she usually gives this old woman a lift. And I had about 10 minutes in the car with her. We didn't talk rugby, um, but you make small talk with someone. And anything that I talked to her about, she had this, like, it was like a sitcom character. This, like, unbelievable ability to twist anything into a negative. So you could say, like, oh, Christmas time, nice time of year. Oh, the dark evenings, it's cold. I hate it. And you're like, oh, but the kids are happy. Oh, but what about the kids that don't get presents? You know, and, uh, well, you know, it's it's nice to have a wee bit of magic and a bit of fantasy. Oh, sure, it's all not true anyway. So it's sort of, <laughs> when you have an experience like that, it makes you more determined to be positive. So I've been trying to search for positives from that game, and I, I think there's a couple, but it's it's difficult. Um, I think if you look at, we've already covered, you know, Ulster didn't have an awful lot of kind of go-forward ball. It didn't dominate an awful lot. So whenever you think about that, going in at half time ahead and reasonably comfortably ahead after two tries was fairly incredible. And actually, I think that's something that this Ulster team 
have been quite good at is scoring points off limited ball and actually being quite clinical when they have a chance to score a try. And I thought the the dope try was excellent. It was completely mm-hmm. un, unexpected. Um, and I thought the uh, the Billy Burns try was a little bit fortuitous. It sort of like took a replay to even figure out what had gone on. Uh, but they took their chances really well and they stayed in the game. And I think that being the first point, the second point I think is, I think the team spirit ultimately was good. That's probably what kept them in the game for so long is the fact that even though they didn't have an awful lot of platform and they were defending an awful lot, they defended well for at least the first sort of 55, 60 minutes. You know, they repelled an awful lot of bath ball. And I think it sort of shows you know, the old cliche is like, you know, a coach has lost the dressing room. Mm-hmm. I don't think Ulster are there yet. I think the team spirit's there and I think the effort's there. And I think that's probably the main positive takeaways in this game. But then when it comes to the negatives, and I'm determined not to be too negative, but I could pull out like a sort of a big ream of paper, like a comically sized mm. amount of notes, as if I'm Father Ted accepting the Golden Cleric Award, because <laughs> there's plenty to be negative about as well. Um, it works better if this was a video podcast. But the yeah. guy wouldn't. You're going to take out a ream, a ream of paper. No, we move on to liars. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll not, I'll not get bogged down on those details. And we've covered a lot of the negatives already. I think one thing I would say is that a slight negative is that for a lot of this season so far, following the World Cup, what are we now, sort of nearly 10 games deep probably, there's been a lot of rotation in the squad and a lot of the sort of closer games and poor performances and you go away to Connacht and you lose narrowly. I think you can, you can look at them and be like, but they're experimenting. There's a lot of players missing. There's a lot of injuries. I think the problem with this game is that that was pretty close to the Ulster's full-strength team. Um probably missing, you'd maybe put Addison at fullback, but that's arguable because I think uh, Stuart Moore played well in any case. And you're missing, I think Dave McCann's a massive loss, so he makes a difference when he plays and makes a huge difference to the back row. And, uh, but I think if you think of that being the strongest Ulster, Ulster team, they, although they were competitive, they're some way off, really. I, I watched that game, and at no point, even even going 14-8 up, I was still thinking, I think they're going to lose this. You know, I didn't really you know, ever think Ulster are going to control this game. And I think part of that probably was the tactics. I think they're too determined to run the ball. You have a heavy pitch and it's been torrential rain. It's not really the day for running rugby, trying to run it back all the time. And whenever you're against a team that is blatantly more powerful than you, I mean, I don't like being a supporter either where you're watching the opposition and sort of going, aren't they magnificent? But but they were very good. Yeah. I, thought, I thought Finn Russell, Finn Russell was just like, he's a different class to anything Ulster can offer. And I suppose... That's what you have to take your hat off and say, you know, fair enough. They got more talent, more power, and they dominated the set piece. So in some ways, it's incredible that Ulster were as competitive as they were, mm-hmm. as long as they were. But I've, I've talked myself right back around to being negative there, haven't I? <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, but yeah, like I, I think Bath were the better team, ultimately. and they, they, they dominated. And I think Alex Ferguson used to always say, back when Man United were a good football team, which is a long, long time ago now, you always say, you know, we're never beaten. We just run out of time. That game, if it kept going, would have just got to be horrific. There was only one team that was in the ascendancy. It was actually, you know, a bit of a saving grace to have the final whistle. And when you're defending all game, I think that happens. So, um, yeah, unfortunately, beaten by the better side. Yeah, I think I think that's that's fair. And like you mentioned, sort of team spirit there. And I I look at that team and I go. There's a lot of talent there, and um, on paper, like we should be performing far above what we are. And I suppose 
look, whose job is it to get a team performing to their potential? So we'll zoom out a wee bit again, look at the bigger picture. What are the main problems at Ulster Rugby at the minute? What must be done to fix them, in your opinion? Anyone can come in on that? I, I would say that the first thing that I just tend to see when we struggle is is a real lack of direction at fly half. And I and I really don't mean that I have a pop of particular players, but it's also part of your tactics, as I was saying. Like, you know, someone, uh, Bernard Jackman made a great point, like kicking isn't necessarily a negative thing. Like if you kick on the front foot and if you kick um with direction, I mean, France kicked the ball more than any international team and no one says that they're boring or dull, but they're probably the most entertaining team to watch. But like, I think if you're going to sort of consistently pick Billy Burns at 10, and I think his something that he does brilliantly, probably better than any other 10, maybe in, in our league, is a cross-field kick. He's class at that. He's really good at it. Um, But he never looks up at kicks. And then if you're going to sort of look at that, is the question then, like, if he's out this week, you'd want someone like maybe Jake Fannery to get the start. And if Jake Fannery's not doing it, like, I've, I've actually really enjoyed watching Jake Fannery. I think he's really got something about him. But the problem that you would probably look to we are looking to keeping the ball too much, but also that comes from your 10. And like you were saying about Finn Russell, again, the way he controls the game for Bath is is so unrivaled by comparison. It was such a stark contrast just to watch them play against each other because Finn Russell was controlling that game so well. So if you were looking at more on the pitch stuff, like we probably need to, you need to look to the future as what is the plan at fly half and, 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 and how do... It could be Billy Burns, but it could also be Jake Fannery. It could also be someone outside of that. So I suppose the thing that you'd have to ask is like, We've got a lot of years, as you're saying, loads of quality backs, loads of backs, and, and like, not so much that Billy Burns could do about the scrum and the line out. But if you've got a ten, you know, if you've got a ten that is sort of like not really controlling the game, and that's not just last week, it's a lot of weeks, and it's a lot of weeks where we do have a scrum and a line out. Um, I would, I would have to say that's probably my first point on the pitch, at least. Yeah, yeah. Um, look, I think ten's a, an issue which has is, just come up a lot, and. I personally I like Billy Burns, but Ian, do you want to come in on that question? Oh, can't hear you, Ian. Still, still on mute. Yeah, uh, sorry, Fergus. Put me on mute there. It's contagious. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't single out Billy Burns on his on his own. Um, two things I think our half backs haven't been performing mm-hmm. together um, terribly well this season. Uh, either Cooney or um, Nathan Duck, along with Burns. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of that comes to you know playing behind a, that, that pack that's that's consistently getting beaten up, uh, you know, and and uh, it, it has to affect the mindset of those guys. Um, mm-hmm. Do you know what sort of um, type of ball you're gonna you're gonna get? You know, yeah. you have a run of play in your in your head as you as as you set up, and then you know a, the ball doesn't come out fast enough or comes out dirty to you. So, you know, there's a whole lot of things that, that, that go into that. Uh, I just think when we do get half-decent ball, we do look as if we can create stuff. Yeah. Uh, so, so I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you, Daniel, but I just think right. that, I just think that, that you know, when you analyse deep down, you see where the problems are, and I just think that, that Ulster's main problems uh, uh, at, at the minute are, are emanate from that from the forwards. Yeah, I, I, yeah. No, I would have to agree. I mean, if you're taking someone like Harry Byrne, who just played his first European game at the weekend, I, I, he didn't have any doubts going in that he would be able to get some ball against the European yeah. champions. So yeah, I, yeah, I'd have to agree with you there. That, no, he, that is he, he he had a and that was a difficult game to to come into, but he still looked as though he had uh, an extra, yeah. you know, 
second, second half every time he got the ball. Yeah, and that's up to you. Yeah, and Jack, coming to you now, like what are the what are the big problems for Ulster zooming out from that game? Even just more generally, like it's been a tough enough season, hasn't it? Yeah, well, I'd say that on the topic of nine and tens and things like that, I think it's um it's not a I don't think anyone's criticizing Billy Burns as a as a player. I think it's the way he's been told to manage a game. I think any kicking goes through nine, you know, just look at the stats, it's clear to see, just watch a game, all the kicks come from a bucket of cash. I think uh, just uh, just just get David Humphreys to assign us a lot of uh, uh, assign us a lot of a lot of a lot of, of cash next year, and uh, we'll just sign some superstars and uh, fancy a game. Everything will be fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, because yeah, I think um, I think that there's there's more there's more systematic issues. I think I think we've got I think we've got the players. There's um, there's there's clearly kind of talent there and actually homegrown talent that's coming through that we need to utilize more of, but it's 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 structuring it and putting it into place where we get those benefits. And I don't think we're playing to those strengths at the moment. So it's it's definitely a more systematic approach because there's there's elements that are going that are working well, but it's getting the whole the whole picture that's the that's the issue. Yeah. Just- I didn't Oh, sorry, go ahead, Daniel. No, I was just going to say, just quickly as well, as if you're saying sort of more structural things, especially around coaching, um, I do think losing David McCann, as you were saying, was a big thing. More about as well, if you're going to play for, away from home um, in Europe, something I noticed, um, about, especially by the teams that won away from home, they were brilliant on the floor. Like, see, Jacko penalties? We had two Jacko penalties, and both of them came from Stephen Kitsoff. So you're asking your loose head to get your turnover ball. And if you are going to spend long periods in defence, you have to turn the ball over. Otherwise, as you say, as and, and like you were saying earlier, it feels really inevitable. Like we are keeping teams back, and they are having to score in twenty phases. But it never feels like we're going to turn the ball over at some point here. Especially when you're on when they're on your line. There's only really one way to get out of it, and that is someone to often to, them to make an error or someone to make a really good jackal turnover. And I think McCann probably gave us a bit of balance in the back row with someone because Nip Timoney's a good ball carrier. Dave Year's a very good ball carrier, and I think Timoney's also quite good on the floor. But I think. McCann was had really developed that jackal side of his game in that first part of the season, and it did give us a nice balance there. Um, and I think, especially away from home, you have to have more than two jackal turnovers, and they need to be at least slowing their ball down. Something that Leinster did brilliantly against La Rochelle made all their breakdowns a nightmare. Their nine didn't get, and I, that was bad conditions as well. But like their nine didn't get any ball, and and if you're gonna be the defensive coach, if you're gonna be critical of the defensive coach, you'd have to say. If we're gonna play this standing off breakdowns defense, like you know, Gatland would sort of organize, you're really gonna you really need to be making massive hits and like really pushing them back. Otherwise, I think what is more likely for Ulster as a team that isn't naturally power built is to make more jackal turnovers. And they had six turnovers and we had two. So, like, I mean, you know, on the floor. So, like, you're really gonna struggle, I think, to to keep teams out, especially in Europe, especially away from home. Um, if you don't have a threat on the floor, and I think we just didn't have that, especially against Bath. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I can't help but think. Well, I, I have my own opinions on what's going wrong with Ulster at the minute, and I think I agree with what you guys have said and on a sort of more micro level. But if you zoom out, I think the, 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 uh, the challenges, shall we call them, are, are more obvious than that. And that brings me to my, my next point about um, the coaching. Cycle and we sort of touched on it slightly, but at a certain point in every coaching cycle, 
that's how all coaching careers end in failure. I can't remember who said that, but it's true. Dan came in. He was the right man for the time. I thought he was great. Uh, hold my hands up and say, great appointment. Very excited when he came because it heard really good things. Superb technical coach, good forward coach. Steadied the ship. Did pretty well. Good atmosphere. Fight for every inch. That went well for a couple of seasons growing. And then uh, it's quite hard to um, to keep that momentum going over the course of uh, a few seasons. Do you know what I mean? So look, that's a very long-winded way of introducing my question. Is it is now the end of the road for Dan and his colleagues? I, I On this one, I think... We talked about this probably early in the season and there's going to be scrutiny on McFarland probably all season. I, I think the more time goes on, the more I think this probably should be his last. Um, I think with Ulster, we've already said their, their playing staff isn't going to compete at the highest level. So you need to be quite innovative and also maybe a bit pragmatic. And I think going away to the likes of Bath, um, I think the likes of the kicking game, you need to be very, very tactical and very astute and sort of, you know, use all those cliches like play their percentages. And I think whenever you're married, the one philosophy. So I think, you know, this season, obviously, they've gone into it thinking we're going to try and be as expansive as possible. We're going to try and keep the ball alive. We're going to try and run it back. But you had a very in-depth discussion last week with Nathan as well uh, involved saying, like, the best teams don't do that. And I think... You know, you can, you can play like that if you're against maybe a zebra, albeit it didn't work very well against them and they just scraped the victory. But if you're playing teams better than you, you have to be quite pragmatic. You can't just say, look, this is the way we play and we don't deviate from it. Um, I, I think you need to adapt to the opposition. Um, and I think as well, six years now he's been in charge, your message starts to get distilled. Unless you're really elite as a coach and as a leader, people start to just sort of go, is this guy always talking about? You know, we've been listening for six years. We haven't, haven't won anything yet, you know. Yeah. So I think after a while, you can start to lose your impact. So you can say he started very well and he, he did have a big impact. Um, it doesn't mean he's a failure. I think it may be just a time for a change at the end of the season. I think as well as you're saying, like, like there's only so many times you can be led up the hill by someone and eventually, like, the same things. That, and I'm, I'm sure he does the same things because everyone sort of does. We all speak the same way. Eventually, you keep hearing the same voice. And it's probably as well, if anything, gone. Like, he actually started so well that maybe it was slightly not to his detriment down the line that he has. So it looks like a bigger downturn than it is. Where he took Ulster from when he took over was the bottom. Like the, we were probably the, the we were the we were the Brian O'Driscoll basket case province, like very famously. And so I think to be fair to him, what he did was brilliant. But as you say, you just keep getting led up the hill by someone every season, and eventually you just kind of go. I don't know how many more times I can hear that from you. And I don't know how many more times I'm going to believe it. And I think the other thing that he definitely lost that was big and any of the players seemed to rave about Jared Payne as a technical coach, as an attack coach, as someone who really understood the rugby. And when he left, that was a big void to fill. And I do think he, you know, presumably McFarland had a big say in who came in. And I do think he failed to fill that void. And so I would say that if there was a failing of McFarland's, it was that. And I don't necessarily think, as you say, he's got he's a worse coach or anything. I don't think that's true. But uh, yeah, as you say, six years, six seasons, and you haven't got any silverware. I think some the reason why someone like Stuart Lancaster was consistently getting that, uh, you know, backing from his players was because they were winning a lot. And it's it's probably why it's hard for the longevity to upkeep if you're not winning. Yeah, turn to you now, Ian. I uh, just uh, funny enough, I had just written down uh, two names there uh, when. Uh, Fergus was talking about uh, Dan, and that was Dwayne Peel and Jared Payne, mm. and I think their their loss uh, has been 
uh, is, is bigger than maybe we, we think. Uh, and, and particularly pain, uh, a, a few of the ex-players that uh, you know have left over the last couple of seasons have, have mentioned the influence that Payne had at, at Ulster. And I know Dwayne Field maybe isn't doing terribly well with Scarlets, but I think that's down to personnel rather than his, uh, you know, his own abilities. And he actually had us playing a, a, a fantastic brand of rugby. Um, and uh, the last thing I wanted to say was, uh, yes, Dan took us over when we were a basket case. Are we uh, on our way to being a basket case again? So he's he's taken us back to where he started from. Yeah, yeah. I think like there's a, there's a lot in that, and uh, um, it's a it's a big statement. But Jack, do you want to come in come in on that one? Jack, can you sorry? Can you I hear just, me? I, I lost you there for a second. My internet bit oh. so. But um, what did you say? Do you want to to contribute to that? So I was only I was just going to say apologies. My internet seems to be playing funny. Um. But yeah, the, I think we've we've mentioned about the coaches and stuff, and I think it's a good, I think it's a fair point. The the other aspect that I think is interesting is when Dan took over, things were going well. We had Payne, we had Peel, and it was all it was all rosy. But when those guys were, you know, mentioned about they were moving on and going somewhere new, you know, uh, Jared getting getting a pretty big gig in in, in Claremont. And um, and Peel going back to Wales to be a head coach, you know, those are step ups for those guys. But I think who did we then bring in to have, you know, a step above in terms of the level of coaching? Because Dad did a great job in those first couple of seasons, solidified things, got us playing well again, you know, playing the basics. But I mean, I can't I can't say it without disrespecting kind of Johnny Bell and and Daniel Super, but were they were of a, of, of a different of a different or probably a different a lower level should we say because Dan Soper is a good skills coach but is he a really top-notch attacking coach you know has he has he got experience in you know super rugby or you know playing in France no like has Johnny Bell got a vast amount of experience anywhere else other than a couple of seasons at, at, at Gloucester no so you know we have to attract Ulster as an organization have to attract those big names so that when you go to the IRFU, you can say, we want a, no, this isn't going to happen, but we want uh, Razi Erasmus, we want uh, Jacques Nienaber to come and be, you know, director of rugby at Ulster Rugby because we're not attracting that, we're not attracting that that, that calibre of coach. I would so say. It needs just, to be, I'm sorry. I was just saying, I was just going to say, it, it just, it needs to be a place where we attract those people. And is that part of, the coaching setup, the character, or the sort of the, the the psyche of Ulster Rugby, that it's not a good place to 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 be right now. I, I don't know, but we need to become a place that attracts that caliber of coach, so that we can bring these guys on. Because it's 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 kind of getting a little bit of a of a of a, of a nightmare, really, that we've got all these fantastic players, but we don't have the coaches to take them to the next level and start playing for Ireland and keep keep on that keep on that pathway that we seem to have lost. Yeah, and I think as well, just what you were saying about coaches, like with the hires of the coaches, we didn't like. I mean, I know Johnny Bell is technically an outside hire, but like, I mean, he's you know, in in terms of, I mean, how how much experience has he had around other groups? As you were saying, how much experience has he had? If you sort of bring Dan Soper, he came sort of up into the position from inside, and then you've got Johnny Bell's come into the coach defense. How and we we talk about an echo chamber amongst fans. How how much does that start to then for a head coach start to become an echo chamber? 
And maybe when you do get into these long coaching spells, there maybe does need to be a bit more of a, like a sort of the three, four year mark. Do we bring someone in who maybe doesn't agree with me on most things, maybe on defense, but it, it might force me to change my mind about things. And it might force us to become, to evolve and to become slightly different. I think, you know, when you look at, um, Connacht brought in Scott Fardy, who I think is a, that's a, that's a brilliant coaching hire and someone who also definitely could have got, by the way, that's, you know, that, that is absolutely someone that you could have got. Um, a young guy who's starting his coaching career, who also, you know, he had time at Leinster, but has seen rugby everywhere. And while yeah, he doesn't have, you know, loads of experience, it's a different voice. And so I think like maybe one of the one of the things you could criticize him for is that way he's made those hires doesn't feel like he's trying to involve anyone who's sort of not in his ilk, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, it doesn't. Like on that point, um, I think, yeah, I'm just going to say, I, I have it on good authority that Dan doesn't get on with lots of people. <laughs> and yeah. that's why there's a massive turnover of staff. That's why people leave. And that's why uh, players... And some players don't like him. I think chat of losing the dressing room, like that's not a tangible thing. Have you lost the dressing room? It's very hard to to like. Does that mean everyone hates you? Probably not. It means some senior players who have influence probably don't get on with your CIDI. And um, look, I think that's the case. I'm gonna go in a limb and say Dan's not maybe the best man manager I think he's a great technical coach by all accounts I've never been coached to him like but everyone I've spoken to and I've spoken to lots of retired pros said great coach doesn't really get on with many people which is fine if you're successful or if you're a novelty but after a while that might great and that's why people Hello. leave I think the way you're pointing out as well it's exactly what happened with Eddie Jones at England it's a bigger stage but it's exactly the same thing eventually you know when the success runs out the people that you sort of rub the wrong way for four or five years they're kind of ready to, 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 you know, to, to jump to the side and say, well, I don't really like him anyway. <laughs> kind of the problem there when, you know, it's fine when you're at the top, but as a coach, if you've if you've made enemies along the track and then suddenly, you know, you're asking these guys who you were kind of, you know, not great to a couple of seasons ago, do you know, to step up and fight for you? You know, yeah, as you say, you haven't necessarily lost the dressing room, but it's like, you know, you're going to struggle to make that really stick with players. Um, and like also, you know, we start playing well again. How long before you know you chuck me under the bus or you drop me for some weird reason? So I think, as you say, I think it's 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 something that happens with coaches who are maybe characters that rub people the wrong way. Yeah, it's hard, it's hard to tell, isn't it? Sometimes, like without coming across all Roy Keane, you know, he always talks about players and their own professional pride. So it's actually hard unless you're on the inside of a group or as Peter does, you obviously have some kind of very well placed source who has mm-hmm. all the salacious mm-hmm. gossip. You, you don't know whether it's actually playing for the coach or playing for personal pride or, you know, there's a there's a reasonably good kind of leadership group in the players that kind of motivates everyone. So it might appear that he's not lost the dressing room. It's possible that, that he has. It's possible the belief kind of in the coach has gone. But equally, like everyone was saying there, if you think of the, the coaching staffs that have longevity, you know, coaches that can be successful across 10 years or if you think of football, you know, 20 years, there's a constant churn within the coaching setup where you do have people coming in, implementing different styles and challenging your own. You know, if you bring in a bunch of yes men, which if that's the case, you know, it's it's, it's not going to be effective. It's not going to be, it's not going to have longevity. Yeah. Well, Sir Alex Ferguson, good example of that, where it seemed to always be the assistant manager who, who he brought in was usually brilliant. Mm-hmm. Ryan Cade up the Carlos Queros and various others. And Steve, Steve. Uh, yeah, that's right. Um, Ian, do you want to come in on that as well? I just uh, picking up on on uh, what Fergus was saying there about 
about about the players. It was interesting just reading what Handy was saying in early part of the week. Um, and I'm just going to read here because I printed it off. Um, as a team, I feel we do really well when outside pressure comes on, playing with that chip on the shoulder mentality, said Henderson. Um, and we understand that when we are out there playing, we're not trying to do it for anyone else. We're trying to do it for each other. And is that siege mentality a bit? Um, you know, is that, is that players sort of thinking as a group themselves and, and, and you know, rather than what the coaches are telling them to do, you know, we're, we're, we're going to get out through this out uh, by ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was, it was interesting just to, just to, um, you know, there's certainly that second thing that it, that he said, we're not trying to do it for anyone else. We're trying to do it for, for each other. Um, I, I, I took that, you know, maybe in the wrong way because I, I sort of thought, well, if you're not doing it for the fans, if you're not doing it for, you know, for the club, uh, then who are you doing it for? And, and if you're only doing it for yourselves, um, you know, it's only yourselves that you have to please um, at the end of the day. So uh, um, I, I'm sure I'm sure they're hurting and I'm sure at times they're asked questions when, when they really don't have, have the answers and they come up with something. Um, Kitsoff also, I think, today um, was interesting, you know, where he, he has recognised what he's come into uh, and maybe wasn't expecting um, you know what it, what he was coming into, uh, and uh, um, by all accounts already, you know that that guy's uh, having an influence in there in the in the uh, in the dressing room and that training. So um, hopefully, maybe in spite of our uh, our coaching staff, that those senior players can galvanise the team and we can ride the storm. Yeah, I thought I thought a really good point that just on that point that Henderson's, you know, saying we're playing for each other and we've got the chip on the shoulder. It's quite emotive, like the way he's trying to speak there. And I thought Paul Collin made a great point. He did an interview with the Irish Examiner last week and he said something I wish I'd learned as a player was that in trying to make every performance the most emotional performance of your life is horribly draining. Um, Over the course of a season, you run out of steam. And actually, over the course of matches, you run out of steam. And he was saying something that we that he really thought Andy Farrell was brilliant at was devising a way that the players know that the way we prepared, the way that we have set ourselves up, is enough, and that the emotional bit can come in right before kickoff. You know, those sort of that, that you know buzz and the, and the feeling of the stadium. But he said, see, of every game, the captain has to give some sort of you know William Wallace style speech to get everyone going eventually as well how many more how many of those speeches does Ian Henderson have in the locker like you know what I mean like if you're heading into the racing game it's, it's an emotional affair and like that's a big game but if you're trying to go into you know Edinburgh at home there in the league and trying to yeah galvanize the boys to put the fear of God in them you're also kind of sitting there like geez lads like you know how many times do we have to do this this season like I think you need to have a, a formula where like you could you're able to put it together every week and then in the biggest day and on the biggest occasions the emotion comes into it. But it feels a bit like the other way Henderson's talking. It's like every week he's trying to get a group of guys up for playing a game. Yeah, and even during even during the games yeah. as well, Daniel, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And I and and that and as I say, that takes energy out of you. And it's energy certainly that Ulster don't have to give. Like you don't have that much energy to give. Um, yeah. And I think it's something that you can maybe just notice a wee bit with the way that they're playing the last few weeks. Yeah. And, and look, it sometimes works, that whole thing. It usually works at major tournaments, like the World Cup, if a coach isn't well liked or whatever, 
um, sometimes that that does mm-hmm. galvanise a team, but it works for for three games to get into the final. I think in England 2007 World Cup, I think it was Brian Ashton. Uh, everyone was yeah, just like, yeah. Uh, yeah. they're just like, let's start ignoring uh, yeah. <laughs> what he said, and they all they all yeah got the, they did well, got the final. So, um, but it's like, hard to do that. It's hard to do that, and over the course of a season, yeah, in club rugby, understand. Exactly, big major tournament maybe, but that is exhausting. So if you see Handy out in a coffee shop scribbling notes, he's probably writing his next rousing speech uh, to <laughs> deliver. Um, so yeah, look in terms of uh, positives, like if, I feel like we've become negative. We're like that old woman that Fergus talked about earlier. <laughs> earlier, just going on. Oh, around. don't bring her up. Oh. <laughs> 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 but I, I want to, for the sake of balance, and just very quickly, you'll finish up here in a couple of minutes. But what are the positives? Let's uh, maybe if anyone has any, just shout out a few positives from the season. Keep us uh, keep us from uh, getting too depressed here. I, uh, I, sorry, well, I didn't jump in, jump in very briefly. I think Ulster have a good chance this weekend. I think they're a different proposition at home, so I don't think things are as bad as what it probably seems. In fact, and it's, there's a lot of contradictions in Ulster. I sort of felt watching them against Edinburgh. The reason they didn't win that because they almost were overconfident. I thought they just kept on. My impression watching that was like. I'll be all right. You know, we've got plenty of time. We'll come back into this. I sort of thought there was no urgency until they actually had to score a couple of points towards the end. So I think the talent's there, and I think if the momentum gets going early doors and the crowd get behind them, they've every chance of a win this weekend. So they're not they're not as far away as all the negatives earlier I brought up suggested. <laughs> yeah. Any other positives? Something that I thought was a really big positive just having watched from the last few seasons was the performances of Ian Henderson. Like in the time in the games that he played, that game of the weekend, I thought he was really, really, really good. And I thought the match Brian just kind of mentioned the commentary. He looked like a lion's lock. Um, and I, and that was maybe the most sort of disappointing thing is we're saying about the pack maybe struggling as a unit because our you know definitely our best you know couple of forwards and Kitsoff and Henderson were really, really good. Um, I think he's. I think if we can see more Ian Henderson, like last three seasons, I think his total games for Ulster is less than twenty five or something. It's it's a very small number. Um, if you could see a good run of Ian Henderson, and like he doesn't need to start every game, but if you could see a good run of him as k- skipper, I think that's a real positive for Ulster. If he if he's playing consistently and um, we get a few more boys back, I I think that's a real positive to take away at the minute. Yep, absolutely. Have we run out of positives? Ah, <laughs> uh, no. I I I, I believe uh, um, whether we end up this season in um, in knockout rugby or whether we don't. Uh, you know, the, there are positives in in that we're bringing through some very talented young players who will stand well to Ulster for a good number of seasons. So, uh, uh, you know, the uh, optimist in me sees maybe a couple of seasons ahead. Um, and I know we sort of said this a couple of seasons ago about our back line. And, and uh, you know, there was a time when we had um, Lowry, Balakun, Stockdale, uh, Hume all starring and and, and and all playing very well. I, I think those those uh, those times are ahead. Uh, so I'm I'm remaining reasonably positive in that in that way. This season I don't see us really featuring too much at the, at the tail end. But as long as we can uh, hang in there in the uh, in the in the URC, it'd be a shame if we didn't uh, stay in the top eight. But mm. um, can't see us uh, affecting the outcome of the Champions Cup too much. 
Oh, and that's why I'm sorry, that's, I was just gonna say just quickly, and that's just as as I was as you were saying that it's just why you'd maybe like to see a bit more someone like Jake Fannery is just mm-hmm. what I mean, because there's mm-hmm. so young talent. You'd maybe if you know that the season isn't a Champions Cup winner or really gonna challenge win the league, you'd love to just see him get a, a string of starts. I know they tried at the start of the season, he got a bit of an injury, but you would love to see if you can, especially if you sort of see the back half of the season, can we get boys playing European Cup games who we may not have thought were you know going to start but you know could they could they maybe feature a bit more but as I was saying yeah that's just that, that was what you'd love to see a bit more not yeah look I think we need the the spirit of 99 don't we 25 <laughs> years on from uh that momentous occasion and uh there's times in that season I I was a, a young child at the time but I don't think it went perfectly uh and uh oh, by no means no no so i think we're on for for uh champions cup this year and what you say uh, all right right See yeah, no, i like I, I like i like how you've circled that background i like the way that's come in there. It's, actually you have to be quite poor in the middle of a season to win a champions cup not many teams know that yes yeah yeah but also do but also little known fact um someone said to me earlier earlier i think last week that uh, uh, it's all dance psychology. The last few seasons, we've started and come out of the traps like a greyhound and, and ended up uh, um, limping over the line. And this season, he's holding his back. Uh, it's a, the old rope-a-dope, I think. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. we're going we're gonna to come good after uh, after Christmas and we're going to romp. <laughs> I, think the, uh, I think the therapy sessions now delved into delusional thinking. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I know if you, if you sat and talked like this enough, you would be convinced. But but within the the hour of like you were oh, yeah. going to win, win the European Cup, but the Ulster uh, team will become the Ireland team, and you know the Lions team picks itself. I'm sure you know. I know. Well, I was talking um, up Scott Wilson and uh, Dave McCann as, as British Lions and Ireland players there only yeah. a few episodes ago, which still could happen. All that. Happen. Yeah, all that. <laughs> right, very quickly at the end here, let's come back down to earth. We've got racing this weekend, or racing rather. Um, what are your predictions for that? We'll have this, we'll just run through the, the, oh sorry, the one thing I was going to ask Ian actually, uh, I'll ask you this before, Ian's uh, regular segment, the lock stocks, in which he tells us about the uh, sort of second row uh, stocks that we have at the minute and just a general squad update in. I know they're hard to come by these mm-hmm. days. I think there was one this week, wasn't there? Yes, we got one. We did indeed. Lock stocks were good. We're, we're, you know, we're, 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 uh, we're, we're all fit and firing. So uh, whichever way Dan wants to, to place them on the, on the pitch, um, they're all there. Um, and I, 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 I agree I agree. Well, this podcast has been an absolute nightmare. <laughs> it's been farcical, I, I, I would say. Um, <laughs> about, about Ian Henderson, we can keep him. We keep him fit and and uh, get him uh, uh, get him on 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 the pitch leading. Um, it's always going to be a good thing um, for this week. Uh, early on the week, Billy Burns doubtful, uh, so we might see Jack Flannery uh, uh, at least start. Um, Luke Marshall, Will Addison, and Marcus uh, Ray are all available, uh, but I'm told that Will Addison won't be, won't be part of the, the squad, so maybe they're just looking after him for a wee bit longer. Um, ben Moxham, as, as we know, he's out for nine months uh, with an ACL injury in his left knee. Um, and then on the sort of slightly longer uh, 
list of, of uh, injuries. Uh, Curtis McCann, Carson, McCormick, McElroy, Raphael and Reid. Mm. Uh, and they're just a list, so we don't really know when we can expect to see them. But if you're at one, uh, Ravenhill or Kingspan of a Friday or a Saturday night and you're watching the team warming up, sometimes you get a little clue mm. when you see some of these guys actually taking part in those warm-ups. Yeah. So uh, that's uh, that's a part thank of you, it. Thank you, Ian. I, I, so I, I, there's funny, there are some players uh, that you hear and you're like, oh, I, they're at Ulster. <laughs> Sean Raffle is, is one of them. Um, you're like, this guy, he's hard, he's hardly played. I think he, like, by all accounts, a very good player and actually what we need in terms of um, getting in and snaffling the ball and causing issues and slowing ball down and stuff like that. A bit of a... Uh, good chop tackler and all that. So, if you're not going to play Marcus Ray, it'd be nice to have someone like that. Um, yeah, he was very good in the games he did play. He yeah, did, I thought yeah. Yeah, a very bad injury there. Yeah, he was. He was. He looked really. He got. He, he he racked up a ridiculous number of tackles. Uh, mm. Do you know uh, one of the games he played? Um, but anyway, uh, look. I just want to finish off with our predictions here. So, um, tough run of fixtures: uh, Racing, Connacht. Uh, at home, uh, Leinster away, Toulouse, and Harlequins away. So tough enough, isn't it? So uh, just quickly, just maybe in a sentence or, or two, uh, what do you predict for this weekend? And after that run of fixtures, what do you think the atmosphere will be like at Ulster? Um, they'll be absolutely ecstatic after six big wins. Six <laughs> big wins. We'll just tuck <laughs> them all away. <laughs> Bookies have us actually, to be fair, as a toss-up this week with Racing. So I'm gonna t- I'm gonna take I'm gonna take the I'm gonna take Ulster this weekend. Home, Ravenhill, crowd behind them. Yeah, all the cliches. Yeah, yeah, I love it, love it. Anyone else who's gonna stick their stick their neck in the line because they'll remind you of it next week. I'm going I'm going a, a home win uh, this Good weekend. Um, I'm going for a home win against Connacht because we definitely need that. And then after that, it's anybody's guess. Um, We'll go to Leinster with uh, all the kids again. I think uh, at the at the end of the year, uh, and then the, those two European Cup games. A lot will depend on obviously on the result this weekend as to what happens in those. Um, but I'm down to, to to go to London to see see them against Harlequins. So I hope that we're still in with uh, some sort of a of a chance when we go there. That's be a fun, fun trip, regardless. Hopefully, of course it will. Yes. <laughs> yeah, 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 Jack. Any, any, uh, you're you're holding back there. I get a bad sense from that. What do you think? Uh, my my realism, yeah, uh, <laughs> it's gone out the window to be honest. And I'm just gonna go full, I'm just gonna go full Ulster delusional thinking yeah. now. And I'm just gonna go by, you know, Ulster by 20 and a, a clean sweep of uh, December. And uh, well, not a clean sweep of December, <laughs> I guess, but uh, as clean a sweep as possible. Five points in the song. Everything is just going to suddenly click, and Stockdale and Ballacombe will just rain tries for the next six games, and uh, <laughs> and it'll it'll just be all it'll it'll be all rosy come 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 February Valentine's Day, and it'll just be it'll just be a fabulous couple of months, and we'll just forget about where we were. I I, I sense a degree of sarcasm here, or do no? I, have you gone? Have you got like I I actually. <laughs> I think we'll beat Racing personally. I think we will. I think we're unpredictable enough that we'll turn up and, I think, as you say, Daniel, I think Hendy will have some impassioned speech prepared. It's a big one to get up for. Uh, one that, that the speech. No, no, actually... no. We just, we just, just go, go out and have fun, lads. Go out, have fun. 
throw the ball around. It'll just it'll just happen. It'll click. There's yeah. a lot. There's a lot to be said for that. Honestly, Heck yeah. yeah. Forget it. You know. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> you become so cynical. Yeah. I had a, yeah, a schoolboy captain who just said, "Just just make your tackles, boys." Was how he started every game, and I think Ian Henderson could just make your tackles, boys. Simple as. Yeah. No, no simple, easy. Simple, simple messages delivered and simply. Yeah, absolutely. Hard, hard to beat. Uh, I mean, that's a, a good mantra um, <laughs> that we could, we could employ, definitely. But uh, look, I, I'm more confused now than I was when we started. I don't, don't know about you, the <laughs> listener, but uh, it's been the most farcical episode, but I've enjoyed it. Uh, it's been good banter. So uh, there we have it. A bit of group therapy for Ulster fans, but what did we learn from that? Also, I think given the amount of talent we have in the squad, it's clear that we, we're pro- probably playing below our potential atmosphere and culture our words we hear all the time in sport but what do they actually mean for a team that's struggling on the pitch um we talked about sir alex ferguson he believed and he's, he's the oracle you can tell the amount i refer to him he believed culture and atmosphere at a club are key to success starting from the top down so culture i suppose is that way that people behave comes from the ceo the head coach they get paid a lot of money to facilitate players playing to their full potential. And if they can't do that, who's accountable? I'll just leave that question hanging as mm-hmm. we close the podcast. So, uh, look, thanks to the panel, uh, Ian, Jack, Fergus, and, and most of all, Daniel, for joining us. I uh, thought it was excellent to have you, and uh, look, we'd love to have you back on. So um, thank you for listening as well. Do us a favour, share the podcast, because we don't have the... Uh, the infrastructure of other podcasts we need word of mouth so share it around put it in your whatsapp groups and uh, and whatever else put it in social media and everything we're doing well for listeners but we always use more Um, so guys thanks very much Uh, that was good fun well that was fun a lot of people who play or used to play rugby listen to this podcast if you're struggling with an injury lack of mobility or some form of pain that you've just got used to living with then you need to get it sorted. Back to Better Physiotherapy is a physio practice I highly recommend. The practice owner, John Quigg, is extremely experienced. He's worked with professional sports teams such as Ulster Rugby and Middlesbrough Football Club. Back to Better provide physiotherapy, massage treatment, personal training and rehab. They also have an ice bath and sauna in-house, which are fantastic for recovery and health. They're located at the Building Box Gym in East Belfast. Book using Instagram, at Back to Better Physiotherapy or type their number in your phone now. 075 685 3022. That's 075 685 3022. Get in touch with them and get your aches and pains sorted.